Well, uh, you know, it's been kind of interesting. I've been walking around the sanctuary the past few weeks. I've seen a lot of new faces in here. And just because, just because I don't want anyone in this room looking up here and going, who is this Yahoo that is up at the stage preaching? Because honestly, I feel that way every week when Aaron gets up here to preach. <laughs> but my name's Brian Mattingly. I'm the youth pastor uh, here at FBC Lowell. And uh, it is my genuine pleasure to get to preach and bring you God's word this morning. Now, uh, and I think you guys know this about me. I like to teach things that I teach in the youth ministry. I like to bring a little bit of the youth ministry in here to the sanctuary whenever I preach. Well, Aaron has this grand idea that he's going to preach through like the whole second half of the New Testament or something by the end of the year. And so he, uh, he was like, hey, do you mind preaching for me? And I was like, yeah, no, no problem. He goes, well, here's the exact passage you're preaching on. Here's what you're preaching on. I was like, man, I don't like whenever that happens. I like to be able to, to really feel out what I like to preach. But, you know, uh, as I started to look at this passage a little more, I really started to kind of really get into it and really understand exactly where he was going with this idea. And, and if, if you haven't been here, maybe you don't know, his, his whole mindset for this entire year is increase. And, you know, I think a lot of us would be like, oh, yeah, we need to increase in new members. We need to increase in attendance. We need to increase in salvations. And, and all those things are great. But what we're really looking at is increasing in all these different aspects of being a Christian that he has been looking at as we've been walking through the book of 1 Peter to start with. And so this morning, I'm going to pick up where he left off at the end of 1 Peter 2. And we've been looking at God calling us to increase in all these things. And like I said, I think that, I don't know if this is just a, a condition of Christianity, but we always feel like whenever it says increase in blank, we start thinking of all the people that we know in our life who need to increase in that. You know, like, oh, you know, so-and-so. See, I'm not like Aaron. He calls people out from up here. I just say so-and-so because I'm not about to get myself in trouble. But we all think, you know, oh, so-and-so, they need to increase in spirituality or oh, so-and-so needs to increase in, uh, you know, submission to authority or so-and-so needs to increase in whatever. And very rarely do I feel like we truly evaluate our own heart and say, what do I need to increase in? What parts of my life and my Christian walk do I need to make better? And let me tell you right now, I hope this doesn't come as a shocker to any of you, but the answer to that question is every single aspect that we talk about here. Because I, the Bible makes it very clear that we are imperfect people. And you can be really good at things. Like, I'm really, really good at ping pong. But I know that I could be better. You can be really good at any aspect of spirituality, any, any aspect of your Christian life, but there's always an opportunity for you to increase in it. 
And I can't help but wonder myself as I stand up here and as I was preparing this, that if each and every person in this room took each of the sermons that he's, he's going to walk through throughout this year as an opportunity to increase in that aspect, how much better off our church would be as a whole. If each and every one of us took every aspect that he preaches about or whoever's up here preaches about and said, you know what, I'm going to make it my sole mission for the next week and the foreseeable future to increase my spirituality in this area of my life, then these things like increased attendance and increased salvations and members, those things are going to happen naturally. We don't have to try for them. They will just come along to us. <clears throat> you guys also know if you've been following along with us for the past, what seems like an eternity, I've been working to get my voice back and it's actually at a point to where I feel good today, but bear with me as I probably drink a gallon of water up here this morning. So as we walk through today's increase, the thing that we're going to talk about today, which has already been spoiled for you. I don't know why I try to draw out the suspense. It's in giant letters behind me. I want you to think about how you can increase this in your life. And here's the big reveal. We're going to be talking about increasing in endurance. No shock. As I started to think about this, I really started to ask myself, what is endurance? You know, I, I think that we hear this word a lot and we don't fully understand the dimensions of exactly what endurance is. And I feel like many of you out there are like me. You like sports a lot. I played a lot of sports and I understand I played basketball, which requires a great deal of endurance, you know? And, uh, we use this word a lot, or you hear people on TV be like, oh, that person has great endurance, or their endurance is really suffering here late in the game. Or, and we think about endurance as being like this ability to sustain through something for a long time, whether it's a game or whether it's something challenging or whatever it is. But as I started to really question myself, what exactly is endurance? And I looked it up in the dictionary, which I didn't actually get out of book, I just Googled it, but still the dictionary. I was shocked to read that the first definition of endurance was nothing like what I expected. Now, what I expected was the second definition, and it said something like this, denoting or relating to a race or other sporting event that takes place over a long distance or otherwise demands great physical stamina. That was what I was expecting to read. That was definition number two which then made me really question definition number one. And as I read this first definition, it seemed to almost shed a new light on scriptures and passages that talk about endurance in a Christian life. And as I read this first, as I read this first definition, it really began to bring the passage we're going to look at this morning into focus. And that first definition reads like this, the fact or power of enduring an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. And all of a sudden, 
thinking about increasing in endurance, increasing in an ability to sustain through a difficult or unpleasant situation and not give way became an aspect of spirituality that I was very interested in increasing in my life. So let's dive into our text this morning, and we're going to be in 1 Peter 2, like I said, and we're going to look at exactly what the Bible is teaching us about how we can increase in endurance in this way. Starting in verse 18, <coughs> says, Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. And I started to ask myself, why does Peter take a time to talk about enduring suffering at the hands of harsh masters. And I started to really think back across the history of the world, really. And I would say most people who are in power are harsh. They don't understand this idea of compassion. Now there are some, but most of these leaders, these masters, whatever you want to call them at any level, whether it's a, a slave owner to a slave or whether it's a, a governmental leader to his population, but most people who are in a position of power tend to be harsh people. And so it makes perfect sense that Peter would sit here and try to relate to us and say, hey, look, you're going to deal with people who are in a position of power, who lord it over you, and they take advantage of you or they treat you harshly. And moreover, we know that as a Christian, that's amplified. Because there's one thing we know for sure throughout Scripture, and if you read the Bible, and we talked about this, I didn't tell you guys this. <clears throat> we were cleaning up, Paul, Paul uh, Jackman and I were cleaning up after Upward yesterday, and I had signed up to teach the devotional at men's breakfast back like three, four months ago, and he goes, you still good for the devotional tomorrow morning? I was like, sure, Paul, I'll just teach all day long. I got it. <laughs> I talked about this this morning in men's breakfast, about this idea of enduring suffering. But there's one thing the Bible makes very clear. If you read Jesus' teachings, he tells us to expect to suffer for his name. In John 15, 8, Jesus tells his disciples to expect persecution and suffering for being a follower of him. In fact, he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. How do we know that we're going to endure suffering in this life as a follower of Christ? Because the world hates Christ. We know this. It's been played out over thousands of years. We know that tying ourselves to the name of Jesus and living a life contradictory to the world and what it says and what it believes, the Bible even calls 
the, the enemy, the God of this world. So we know that this world is contradictory to who Jesus is. And by tying our names to Jesus, we walk right into the line of fire. We know in this life that we are going to face some form of suffering. And, and you know what? I, I, I said this this morning as well. I said, you know, we are blessed. We can gripe and complain about the state of our country or the trajectory that we feel like it's going, but we are blessed to live in a country to where the suffering that we consider for the name of Jesus Christ is pales in comparison to people around the world, the suffering that they go through for tying their name to the name of Jesus. <clears throat> but we face a different form of suffering in our world, in our society. But being a Christian isn't simply about just going through suffering. It's not about, oh, I, I, you know, just my role as a Christian is to just suffer. It's not about going through suffering. It's about how you handle going through suffering. And that's where this word endurance kicks in. Do we truly endure the suffering? Do we fight back against it? Do we whine about it? Look at this passage again. It says, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. And I read that to mean, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with if someone's trying to do something that is against what you believe to you that you shouldn't stand up for God. But I don't think that in this moment, it's not right for the slave to fight back against his harsh master. It's not right for the slave to whine about how harsh his master is. It is the responsibility of the slave to endure the suffering. We'll get into why this is exactly, but I think we all sit here and we feel like we have some sort of right or responsibility to, to be treated fairly. And I think back, I, I just, I feel like my dad said this to me all the time growing up, but it's a line from the movie, The Lion King, where Scar holds up the mouse and he goes, life's not fair, is it? Brings back horrible memories of my childhood. I grew up with a brother, so life was not fair. God does not call us to be whiners and complainers. He calls us to be endurers, which I'm not even sure is a word, but that's what we're called to be. We're called to fight the good fight and finish the good race. To be people who are of goodness. And you can't do that if you're constantly fighting with people over the way they're treating you, or if you're constantly moping around and whining about how hard your life is. In a way, and this is hard for some people to hear, in a way, this passage is calling us to be passive about enduring suffering. When you face suffering, just deal with it. And that's a hard thing to hear. It doesn't make sense to us. Like, if something's wrong, I have to fix it. If something's doing something bad to me, I have to stop it. That is not what the Bible teaches us in this passage. 
tells us that when we face suffering, that we are to do good and to endure it. So why is this? And I look at other passages of Scripture and I see that the reason this is is because enduring suffering means to rejoice in your suffering, which sounds like about the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I remember as a kid growing up when they'd be like, rejoice in your suffering, or we'll get to this later, but I read James 1, it's like, consider it pure joy when you face trials. I'm like, that is stupid. Like, that is not right. I, I, know, I know a lot of things about the Bible, but I know that's not right, but it's in here. Enduring means rejoicing through your suffering. <clears throat> we know that, in, that suffering, going through spiritual battles, is honestly an indication that you are properly serving God with your life. Because I'm just going to give you a little newsflash here. The enemy tends to not care about engaging in spiritual war with people who aren't doing harm to his cause. If you are not living your life in detriment to the enemy of God, then he's not going to worry about you. And, and I'm not talking to you about just having a hard day. Like I, Some of you guys have heard this story. Haley and I went to a, a youth pastor conference uh, at the beginning of this week, and we were driving back Tuesday, and we got about 10 miles away from the campsite, and we had a blowout on our van. And uh, long story short, we ended up being stranded on the side of the road for over two hours. And then we finally got the donut on, and we had to drive on the interstate for about 50 miles, going 20 miles an hour under the speed limit. And then we had to get our kids and then get back. We didn't end up getting back here to, to Northwest Arkansas until about 11.30 that night. And let me tell you right now, by the time I got home, I felt like I had been through every spiritual battle that I had ever fought in my entire life. But I'm not talking about having a bad day. I'm talking about when the enemy is after you, is attacking you in a way that is designed to prevent your personal ministry from flourishing and I say your personal ministry, I talk about this all the time with the youth. Like we talk about like, oh, we have a, a church ministry, we have a student ministry. Each and every one of us in here has an own per personal ministry that we do. And your personal ministry really is an indication of how much suffering you're going to endure. If your personal ministry is being super successful and, and beneficial to the kingdom of God, then your suffering is going to be increased. <clears throat> I think about this last year, this last summer, I took, the, I took the youth group to a camp in South Central Oklahoma called Falls Creek. And uh, it was honestly one of the roughest weeks of my life from a lot of different perspectives. And I'm not gonna go into what made it such a hard week because there were a lot of pieces to it. But I can tell you right now, it was honestly and truly one of the most challenging spiritual battles I have ever fought in my life. In fact, I, I was talking to the youth about this on Wednesday night. I'm still fighting that battle to this day about trying to overcome some of the negative thoughts that I have when I think back on that time at camp. 
But I look back now, as I've kind of had some clarity in that, and we saw six kids give their lives to Jesus Christ at that camp. And I don't say that for any sort of self-promotion, but I say that to be that what was lost in my mind in that moment of that camp experience being so just difficult and challenging was the fact that God moved in a mighty way. I've spent eight months dwelling on how bad camp went when I should have been rejoicing that I went through that suffering for the sake of those six souls that got saved that week. Our camp was so devastating to the enemy's cause that he gave us great suffering that week, for sure. <clears throat> you look at Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, it says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we face these sufferings, we should rejoice, not just because it's a sign that the service that we're doing to God is being fruitful, but we should also view it as a sign that God is doing a great work in our heart through the Holy Spirit. When you go through sufferings, you come out on the other side a better person, believe it or not. I think about, again, I told you I was an athlete, and so we did a lot of training and weightlifting, and, and I think about there's so many there's so many things you could say, whether it's building up calluses on your hand or the bar, you know, it like it hurts. You get blisters and they just sting and they burn. But then after a while, they turn to callus and you're able to, to lift that bar with no problem. Or you think about when you lift weights, all it is is you're tearing your muscles so that they can build back up in a stronger way. When we go through suffering, we have to understand that it is God doing a work in our life through the Holy Spirit. So how then do we increase in our endurance? Because at this point, <clears throat> at this point, we should be sitting here going, God, I invite suffering into my life, which again, just sounds crazy, but we should be sitting here going, God, I invite suffering in because that means that I'm doing what I'm called to do to serve your kingdom. But if we invite in suffering, we have to be able to endure it. We have to increase our endurance to be able to fight against this suffering, to, to allow it to strengthen us rather than break us. So how then do we increase our endurance? How do we endure suffering for our own benefit? Well, Jesus gives us a perfect example of how to endure suffering. And we read back in 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 21. It says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore no sin in his body on the tree so that we might die to a sin and live for righteousness. 
By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. I see two things in this passage, two examples that Jesus gives us of how we can increase in endurance. When Jesus was enduring suffering, he went to two places. One, he went before his disciples He knew what was about to come, and he had a last meal with them. He was around his friends. And two, he went to the garden, and he prayed to the one true peer that he had in God. Guys, we are not designed to be alone in our suffering. We are designed to band together with others to fight against this suffering, to strengthen us, to help us endure longer. I think of the battle, and I'm I'm not going to talk about long, but when Moses was raising his hands, he could only endure that for so long, but his brother came alongside him and held his arms up so that he could endure longer. We are not meant to suffer alone. Think of the prayers that Jesus prayed as he was about to endure suffering on our behalf that he was never meant to suffer. That's what it says right here, that he committed no sin, no deceit was found on him. He should not have been enduring this suffering, but yet here he is in the midst of facing some of the most egregious suffering that has ever existed on the face of the planet. And he's sitting here praying to God, saying, whatever your will is, let it be done. We're not meant to go through suffering alone. And this means two things for us as a brother and a sister in Christ. First, don't be brave. Don't be too brave. Don't be too strong. Don't be too prideful to let others see you hurt. To not go to others in your suffering. Because let me tell you right now, that's what a church is for. It's to be a body of like-minded people loving one another. In fact, the Bible tells us that the world should be able to know that we are Christians by the way we love one another. And I can ask you right now, do you truly believe that today's church is the poster child for what love looks like? Because I don't know if it is. I read a book by Francis Chan called Letters to the Church, and there was a, a young man in it that he was talking about and um, he, he, this kid had been grown up and been involved in gangs his whole life. And Francis Chan got to disciple this kid and ended up take, bringing him to church and getting him plugged into the church. And after a few years, the kid actually ended up going back and joining the gang. And Francis Chan saw him out someplace in the community. He said, hey, man, we've been missing you at church. Why haven't you been coming back? And he said, man, my gang's just a better picture of family than the church is. Is the church the picture of love that the Bible calls it to be? Or do we all sit here and walk in here every day and go, hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? Good. And then we just go sit down in our pew. We're called to be a body, which means that if you're suffering, you need to ask someone for help. 
And then the flip side of that is also true. You have to be there for others who are going through suffering. And this means more than just doing things that you think will help them. I think all the time when we hear about someone going through suffering, we're like, what can we do for them? Why don't we, uh, why don't we make them meals? Like, and I'm not trying to knock this, okay? Don't, I'm not trying to step on any meal train toes right now. <clears throat> but we say, what can we do to help them? Maybe we can cook them meals. Maybe we can take up a love offering for them. Maybe we can do X, Y, or Z, whatever it is. And so often we fail to even reach out to the person to say, hey, what do you need? How can we help you? How can we minister to you during this time of suffering? How can we help you endure? So as, as members of the body of Christ, we have to, one, not be too prideful or too brave or too strong to ask for help, but two, we have to be willing to go to people and ask, how can I help you? And to be there to meet those needs. As a church body, we have to be the epitome of what loving one another and caring for one another looks like in the world today. Plain and simple. So the first thing that we need to do to increase in endurance is we need to be there for one another. We need to not suffer alone. The second thing that Jesus shows us in this passage is we need to trust in the one, as he says, who judges justly. Good alliteration by Jesus here. Jesus didn't go to God just because he was a peer before he endured suffering. He went to him because he's the one who judges justly. And, and let me tell you this. Jesus didn't deserve to die. We already talked about this. Jesus did not deserve to die on the cross. And he knew this. And, and so it makes perfect sense that he would go, you know what? I don't deserve to die on this cross. I don't want to die on this cross. Let me go to the one who judges justly and he will hear my case. So he makes his appeal before the just judge and he finds out that the answer was that this just judge had a different plan. A plan that involved us reaping the benefit of this unjust execution. And let me tell you right now, if you are sitting out here today and you have never taken a hold of the trust of Jesus Christ and his unjust execution and allowed that death to wash free your transgressions, today should be the day that you do that. Today should be the day that you say, God, the just judge, turned his eye against someone who died unjustly so that I may live unjustly. But Jesus hears this answer, that he is to die an unjust death. And instead of going, wait a minute, I need to appeal to a different judge or a higher court or something, he says, not my will, but yours be done because he knows that God is the ultimate just judge. And whatever he decides is how it should be. I watch a lot of superhero movies. I don't know if anyone else in here does that. I, like, I just like that kind of stuff. I don't know. <clears throat> but a real big, I feel like it's just been a big theme in a lot of sci-fi movies and, and uh, 
superhero movies right now, and I know it's always been a theme, but like right now it feels like almost every show you watch, they talk about time travel. Time travel is just such a big thing right now. And you know, there's always that one person who's wise and like knows that you shouldn't time travel because if you go back and mess something up, you mess up the future. And we're not gonna go into all these different timelines and everything today, but I'm just saying that we have to understand that the person who knows why we go through suffering, the person who knows why we should endure suffering, the person who knows what the most just and right thing to do in every situation is, is God and God alone. And we have to be people who put our trust in him, not just for salvation, not just because he sent his son to die on the cross for us. Yes, we should put our hope in him and our trust in him because of that. But we should also put our hope and trust in him because he knows how it all works out for our good. So if you're going through suffering, endure because God has already won the victory and he knows what he's doing with your life. I wish I could get up here and I could give you something that made the suffering hurt less. I wish I could make that suffering not as painful as it is. But let me tell you right now, these encouraging words of God about how he knows he is the just judge, that we were the lost sheep without a shepherd and he took us in The fact that we have this hope that through all suffering, things work out for our good is the best feeling that we can have in our suffering. That's, that's the only thing that can make that sting go away. So I ask you here today, how is your endurance? How is your endurance? When you face sufferings, do you just curl up in a ball and start moping and getting mad and fighting back? Or do you endure it and say, God is doing a mighty work in me. How can I use this suffering to further God's kingdom? Every single one of us in here is going to face suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. Make sure you are the person who endures it and allows it to, to increase who you are in Christ and the impact that you have for his kingdom. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for suffering. It sounds so weird to say, God, but we just praise you and rejoice for the suffering that you send our way so that we can grow and increase in you, God, so that we can be the people that you have called us to be, that you would shape us, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit into us through that suffering. God, we pray for endurance. We pray for the ability to... to fight against and to put up with as much suffering as we can handle so that we can grow as much as possible for you, God. God, we love you. We praise you. I pray that you would just be with everyone as they go from this place. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.